Well, I invite you to open your Bibles uh, with me this morning to Acts chapter 15. And we, uh, we're still in the Jerusalem Council, and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 29. And the topic is basically discerning God's will as we see in the matter of this whole issue that was presented to them. And obviously they wanted to uh, understand God's truth and respond accordingly to it. So uh, the issue, of course, before the council is can Gentiles be saved by faith alone or must they keep the law of Moses to be saved also? And so they were presented with a lot of different uh, ideas and eventually Peter stood up and presented his uh, his information and then we have Paul and Barnabas and then we have James. And so finally come to verse 22 and the apostles and the elders come together to make a decision on the nature of the true gospel. And obviously they're going to side on the gospel of grace and not the Judaizers law of works or gospel of works. So we certainly rejoice in that. But we pick it up in Acts chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles' greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words and settling your souls, and this is a reference to the Judaizers who were very legalistic, who went up to Antioch, were telling the Gentile believers, you're not saved unless you're circumcised. You've got to be circumcised, keep the law of Moses, so you can be saved because you're not saved yet. And so they're referencing, we didn't send these guys, and they're disturbing you and unsettling your souls. And then in verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. And that was probably for confirmation. Verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from the things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well, farewell. No mention of circumcision. No mention of keeping the law of Moses in order to be saved. But merely in light of your fellowship with the Jewish believers that have all this in their background, be sensitive to them. Show your love for them. Maintain the peace within the body. Within. But these are not elements to earn their salvation. That was clearly denied. So I'll just go ahead and read verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, 
they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So this was a letter that the apostles and the elders drafted as they made a decision about all of these aspects that were coming at them. The, what, the, what the Judaizers, the, the party of the circumcision were saying, and what Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James were saying. So they had to weigh all this information and make a, a, a godly, God-honoring decision. I think what I'd like to do this morning is to look at this passage and evaluate their means of making this decision. Because we all are faced with decisions and choices of every kind every day. Some are large, some are small. But the big ones, oftentimes we find ourselves in a state of confusion. Sometimes we don't know which way to go with uh, with the issues before us. This could involve marriage or missions or school or job-related decisions, your career, family issues, education. All these things come at us and many more. And we have to make decisions. And we want to make a decision that honors God. But a lot of times it's, it's difficult to know the right way to go. It can be frustrating uh, sometimes we don't see the, 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 the way forward very clearly at all. It's kind of like, for example, trying to read a road sign, driving down a highway on a dark night, and you're driving too fast, and the signs are whizzing by, and you're driving in a heavy rain. And on top of that, you're nearsighted, and you left your glasses at home, and one of your headlights is out. So these signs are blowing by so quick and there's no way you can read. And sometimes we, we face the future and we've got decisions to make, but we really don't, we can't see the way forward. It's like, I know I have to make a decision, but I just, I'm not sure the right way to go. And I think we all face that. We all wish that God would guide us like Siri. Siri, I need to get to this address. Tell me the directions. And this most educated, smartest, non-person woman that I ever know began will tell you, okay, we'll drive, you know, a mile and a half this way and turn right at this street, go down three blocks, turn left there. And it's so precise. It's so perfect. And we wish, wouldn't it be great if God guided us that way? But God is not in the habit of speaking audibly to us on our cell phones. So we have to use other methods. Well, let me uh, begin by saying first off a word about the will of God. Because I think a lot of people have this notion that God has this perfect will for your life. He has a perfect plan all laid out for you. And our responsibility is to, with all of our choices, be in the center of God's will. To aim at the bullseye every time. And if you live in the center of God's will, and if all your choices are in line with that perfect will of God, then, then life is good and your troubles will be minimal. And whatever troubles you have, they'll be dealt with like the Ozzy and Harriet TV series. I'm kind of dating myself. Where all of life's problems were solved by a good talk from father, a short good talk from father, and a batch of cookies from mother. Problem solved. Move on down. Life is sweet. Life is easy. Life is good. 
That's kind of the idea that some people have. As long as you're in the center of God's will, and as long as you're hitting the bullseye. But if you miss that bullseye, and if you miss and make a wrong decision or a bad decision, and you don't get the center of the bullseye, then your life is going to have all kinds of troubles. You'll have struggles in your marriage. Things will not go well for you at work. And then you begin to think, well, maybe I missed that perfect will of God and I married the wrong person or I took the wrong job. And that's why things are so bad. And because I've missed God's perfect will for my life, I'm now doomed to God's second best or third best or fourth best for the rest of my life. And I'll never know the fullness of the happiness and fulfillment that I should have had if I had just made a better decision back on whatever that issue was. I've ruined my chances for happiness. And this view of God's will is kind of like a a travel agent's itinerary. And he's got it all lined up. You gotta to go to this airport, you gotta catch this flight, and then you fly over here, and then you gotta run through the airport and catch the next flight, then the next flight. And if you're late one time, and if you miss one flight, then basically your itinerary and your whole plan has just gone to pot. You've lost it. And you'll never be able to retain it and regain it. So a monkey wrench is thrown into the whole thing And basically, your life is ruined. This is kind of the idea that some people have because of past mistakes that they've made. And J.I. Packer, I think, accurately sums up this view when he says, this is a sign, this particular view of the will of God is a sign of unthinking unbelief. It's not biblical. And yet, many people hold that, that particular view. There's a lot of wrong ways to make decisions today, uh, particularly regarding your future or decisions that are important to you. Number one, uh, some of the wrong ways are don't, don't read your horoscope. Don't read Ann Landers. Don't consult astrology or crystal balls or tea leaves or fortune tellers or humanistic psychology. You're not going to get the mind of Christ in, in any of that. So you have to be obviously be careful. Even in the Old Testament, God communicated to His people in many portions in many ways. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through the Urim and the Thummim. You remember those two little things that were inside the breastpiece of the high priest? And they'd pull it out and it would, it would give you God's will, God's decision in certain matters. In the Old Testament, God spoke through sacred lots and through dreams and visions and supernatural signs and and setting out fleeces, although that's not a good example of finding God's will because for Gideon, setting out that fleece was not to really find God's will. God had already told him what to do, but he was so full of doubts and so fearful, he needed confirmation of his doubts that this was God's will. So that that is not really a good a good method. A lot of people use fleeces end up getting fleeced themselves because they're looking at looking for some supernatural circumstance for guidance. Now some of these methods that God used in the Old Testament are found in the New Testament, the early phases of the New Testament. We see the they drew lots in replacing Judas in Acts one. They certainly have dreams and visions. 
But uh, I think those things were designed to gradually fade away. That's not the normal way of receiving guidance today. Can God bring about special and supernatural intervention in our circumstances uh, to guide us? Certainly. But we should not expect that to be the norm. And we should not be looking to that to discern God's guidance. So from our passage, I'd like to uh, go over some guidelines for guidance. Basically, how to make wise decisions. And I think we can pick up some things in this passage that might be helpful for us as we make decisions uh, in our life as well. The first thing to keep in mind, I think, in, in um, seeking to make wise decisions that honor God is that we need to be walking close to God. People that are not walking close to God, they're not going to be able to discern very well the will of God. Uh, the sheep that is nearest to the shepherd will more easily hear the shepherd's voice than the sheep straying out in the field. So we need to walk with the Lord. And these apostles and elders in Jerusalem, in verse 22, these were men of God that walked with God. Their heart was to wholeheartedly Live for God's glory and do His will. And that should be your desire as well as mine. If you need God's guidance in a matter, commit yourself to wholeheartedly seek God's glory and God's will, not just your will or your desires or what you want. Every believer should make that kind of a commitment to the Lord. And obviously, in walking close to God, that means we should be men and women of prayer. Because what does prayer do? In my praying, in part, I'm acknowledging my dependence upon God. Lord, I need You. Lord, I don't have the wisdom to make a, a good decision. I need Your guidance. Or I need Your blessing. Or whatever it is. But I'm acknowledging my weakness and my dependence upon God. Prayer is vital in this whole notion of Seeking wisdom from God to make good decisions. Also, humility. If you're walking close to God, God is great. I'm, we are not. And we should walk with that normal humility that every child of God should have. Psalm 25 verse 9 says that God leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. So if we're full of pride, if we're full of arrogance, if we're full of, of, of uh, self-centeredness, then don't expect for God to teach you what is right and lead you in His way. We need to walk close to God. We need to be praying for His guidance and wisdom. We need to walk with humility, looking to Him, knowing that we need His grace and we need His guidance. So walking close to God. These men who made this decision in the Jerusalem Council, these apostles and elders were men who walked close to God. Secondly, I think the, the other, another principle is to uh, stay in the Word of God. This is uh, of utmost importance in seeking wisdom and seeking God's will, guidance and issues that are uh, important to you. We need to stay in the Word of God. Now we find, of course, for that back in uh, verse uh, 15, James quotes from Amos chapter 9. He brings the Word of God, the light of Scripture, to bear on their issue. Their issue was, what's God doing with the Gentiles? 
And they quoted Amos 9, and the apostles and the elders were convinced that Amos 9, what it was prophesying, is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And so the Word of God shined its light upon their issue, their decision, and guided them in the right way to go. Now, of course, where Scripture speaks clearly, then we know that's God's will. There's no question about that. There's no doubt. Shouldn't be anyway. That the Word of God is a litmus test. So that if, if, if my decision, what I'm inclined to do, doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it's the wrong way to go. If it doesn't pass the approval of Scripture... not collect $200. It's the wrong way to go. So we know clearly that a believer, for example, should not marry an unbeliever. That is wrong. It's clear from Scripture. It's also clear that when you're filling out a job application, you do not lie on your job application. That's also clear. If you have a money-related decision, the Word of God is going to give you guidance on that. Or am I using my time right? Is is my use of my time in line with what the Bible says uh, it should be? So we go to the Word of God and to know the Scriptures on your issue. And that involves you may need to do some study in that particular area. You need to maybe go to Scriptures that might address a similar issue and try to learn wisdom and insight from the Word of God. Oftentimes, you'll just be able to glean that wisdom in general principles. Because Scripture doesn't specifically address all the detailed issues and decisions that we have to make. But you go and you look for general principles, if not specific truth. But if, for example, if it's job related, some of the general principle is, is this, is this work lawful? I mean, is it going to cause me in any way to do something that's sinful? Does it provide for my needs? Can I do this job for the glory of God and honor God in doing this job? Will this job advance good to my fellow man and for the culture and the community in general in which I live? The cultural mandate. So the Scriptures would bring a lot of general guidance and principles in that area, for example. And I want to also point out that you have to be careful in using the Bible when it comes to getting guidance from God, because a lot of people abuse the Bible when it comes to getting guidance. For example, let's say uh, you're going to buy a house, a home, and you're looking at two houses, one that's north of Northwest 36th Street, and the other home that you found is south of Northwest 36th Street, And you like them both and you just don't know which one to pick. So you're reading in the book of Acts and lo and behold, the angel says to Philip, go south. Well, go south. That The Lord is speaking to me, telling me that it's the house on the south side of Northwest 36 that I need to buy. Now that's foolish. But people sometimes read the Bible and they get these kinds of impressions from a verse that has absolutely nothing to do with your situation, and they assume that it's God speaking to them. Or um, you're reading in the Old Testament, and you find where God chose David, Jesse's youngest son, to be the king. 
So he said, well, we got all these candidates running for office and we got to vote next Tuesday. So I'll just vote for the youngest one because that's what God chose the youngest one. That is not getting guidance from God. So you have to be very careful about abusing uh, the Word of God and trying to get uh, mystical guidance or spiritual guidance in that way. The principle to keep in mind is do not interpret or apply Scripture in a manner contrary to its original intent and meaning. Don't use it in any other way. And also keep in mind that when it comes to Scripture, there's a lot of issues that we would call our secondary issues for the believer. And in those areas, the Bible gives you freedom in making decisions. Uh, one choice is not a sin versus the other that's, that's righteous. In secondary matters, we have freedom and liberty to make a, a decision according to what other, other uh, elements are motivating us. But uh, it's not going to be an issue of sin with God. Now, your decisions still may be important because some decisions are good and some decisions are better. Some choices are good, some are better. So it still involves wisdom, but uh, it's not an issue of sin on secondary issues where God has not specifically spoken. So the main thing, number two, is to consult and stay in the Word of God. That is our ultimate authority for guidance, is Scripture. And number three, we should uh, also consider the providence of God. So the apostles and the elders, they considered the Word of God. They were godly men. They wanted to do God's will. They consulted the Scripture from Amos 9 and concluded that it was, it was definitely in line with Gentiles being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without obedience to the law. And so they had the authority of Scripture backing their decision. But they probably also looked at the providence of God. For example, Peter had witnessed in God's providence that these Gentiles, Cornelius and his family, had received the Spirit of God without being circumcised or without keeping the Mosaic Law as the Jews did, and yet they received the Spirit of God. So that's, a, that's an act of God's providence in sending the Spirit to them. And they noted that. That's pretty impressive. God sovereignly orchestrated the event so that these Gentiles received the Spirit of God without having to do all the Jewish things. And so later on, Paul and Barnabas came up and they explained all the signs and wonders that God had performed among the Gentiles, confirming His blessings and salvation upon them. So again, they took note. This is God's providence of work. We have to see our circumstances and see what God is doing and take that into consideration. Now, our circumstances are not by chance. They are according to God's choice. And we know that God works all things after the counsel of His will. He controls the drawing of the lot. The most random, quote, luck type thing you can do is roll dice or draw lots. And Proverbs 16, verse 33 says that the lot is cast into the lab, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord controls everything. He controls our circumstances. 
And because God controls all of that, then we can look at our circumstances and, 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 and consider them in terms of God's guidance. For example, sometimes God will give us an open door and that's an indication He wants us to go through it. For example, if you're wanting to go to college and you've applied to uh, four schools and three of them say no, but one of them says yes, then you could certainly look at that as this is God's will in opening the door for you to go to this school that that's the one you should go to. Uh, both favorable and unfavorable circumstances in our life can help confirm uh, God's guidance. Uh, Paul stayed in Ephesus, for example, in 1 Corinthians 16 because he had an open door of opportunity for ministry there. Yet he continued to pray for other open doors as well. But with open doors, even in that, we must use caution. Because finding God's guidance can be challenging at times and some open doors are not designed for us to actually go through They may be there to test us. Uh, Jonah, the classic example when people talk about this is always Jonah. Jonah was rebelling against God. He didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. So he went to the seashore. And lo and behold, there was a ship that showed up at the dock at that time going in the opposite direction that God wanted Jonah to go in. And he thought, man, what an open door. And he got on that ship And he should not have gotten on that ship. Not all open doors necessarily are there for us to go through. Remember when King Saul was trying to kill David? It was about a ten year period when Saul was out chasing David all over the place trying to kill him. And lo and behold, David and his men were hiding deep inside a cave. And here comes Saul into the same cave. And his men were saying, David, God has given you an open door. Take, take a, a revenge on your enemy and kill him. But David knew better that you should not kill the Lord's anointed and did not walk through that open door. Uh, Paul later on had an open door of ministry at Troas, but he didn't take it because there was a more pressing need in Macedonia and he went there. So even open doors, even our circumstances don't necessarily tell us the the will of God or the guidance of God. We have to evaluate them. A closed door may be God testing you to wait. Like Israel at the Red Sea. Now there's a if there's ever a closed door, there's a there's a mountain range on one side or a bunch of tall hills and then a sea and here come the Egyptians. We're trapped like rats in the cellar. No place to go. And yet, there was a closed door and then an open door. And they were able to get through. But they had to wait for God to do that. Some closed doors may be God testing you to strengthen your faith, to see if you will trust Him in spite of the disappointment of your expectations or desires. And when God closes a door, don't try to force it open in the flesh. Israel believed the ten spies 
and their negative report about the promised land. So God closed the door on them entering in, but they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't listen. So they insisted on bursting through that closed door and enter into the promised land. And of course, many of them got slaughtered. It was a great uh, embarrassing defeat. So a closed door, maybe God definitely guiding you, in which case, uh, it may not be God's will for you to go that way, so don't try to force it open. And to know also that God may open that door later on. We just don't know. But you should consider the providence of God because God is in control of all of our circumstances. He can guide us through that way. It's not foolproof, but it's certainly something to consider. Number four, you should also consider your subjective uh, desires. Your peace, and also just your, sometimes we get certain uh, sensations or impressions from God, and these are to be considered as well. Again, they're not foolproof, but sometimes God can, can guide you through your desires. For example, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. The problem with that is that sometimes our desires are not in line with God's Word. You know, we're still sinful people. And sometimes my desires can reflect my flesh rather than really a true desire to do God's will. So even your desires have to be evaluated and tested. Are they in line with God's Word? Uh, are the other aspects of guidance in line with, with, uh, with my desires? Remember, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, was it His desire to go to the cross in His human nature? <laughs> Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. And He was so deeply troubled and agonizing that his human nature was struggling. He did not want to go to the cross. And yet, that was what God had him to do. So our desires. Now, his human, his human nature was just cowering. Now, he wanted to do the will of God, but he was facing the, the torment, the suffering, the pain, the agony of the cross. And who wouldn't in our weakness struggle with that? Paul often wanted to go visit his churches, but was not able to do so. He had a desire to go see them, but the providence of God reordered his steps and he couldn't go. He wanted to go to, into Bithynia and preach the gospel, but the Spirit of God said no. He wanted the thorn of his flesh healed and taken out, and God said no. Sometimes our desires do not match up with what ultimately God sees as best for us. So we should weigh our desires, consider them, but just recognize that they may not always be a, uh, an accurate indication of God's will. Jonah's desire was not to go preach to the Ninevites. But that was God's will that he go preach. So again, sometimes our desires can get out of sort. So consider your desires, but weigh them. Also, it comes, same thing with the peace of God. Peace of God is a great blessing. Uh, we're told in Philippians 4 that 
we should not be anxious, but we should, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and souls and minds. Jesus. The peace of God is a, is a wonderful blessing. Uh, Paul tells the Colossians to let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and that's mainly in terms of peace within the church, between the Jews and the Gentiles and people like that. But the peace of God in our heart or the lack of peace is not always a reliable guide either. And that's because in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And we as believers still possess a part of that flesh. A bit of that heart that can deceive us and is not always healthy just because we're we're still sinners. And sometimes we have the peace of God in doing what we should not do. Sometimes my peace may be rooted in my sinful nature. Again, Jonah had enough peace in running from God that apparently, what, what did he do when he was on the ship? And the storm started blowing in that God sent. He fell asleep. He apparently had enough peace and ease that he was actually able to fall asleep so deep asleep that apparently even in the midst of the storm they had to go wake him up. But yet, nevertheless, he had some kind of a peace in doing what he should not do. Judas probably rationalized in his heart and conscience that he was doing the right thing and betraying Christ. Sometimes we can have peace in doing what we should not do. And sometimes we don't have peace in doing what we should do. Again, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. How could you say He had peace in that moment of, of turbulence in His soul, and yet, though He did not have peace in His human nature, He was going to do exactly what God wanted Him to do. And he resolved, he resigned himself to the will of God. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but thy will be done. So he, re, he resigned himself in obedience to the Father, but he was struggling on the inside. Moses, I'm sure, well, he did not want to go back to Egypt when he met with God at the burning bush. And he tried to get out of it. He threw up all these excuses to God. Don't, don't send me back. I'm not, gonna, I'm not able to lead your people out of bondage, out of Egypt to the promised land. And he did not have a peace with that. But that's exactly what he ended up doing. And that was exactly what God wanted him to do. So again, the peace of God, yeah, consider it in your heart, but just understand that sometimes our hearts can formulate peace when there shouldn't be peace or not have peace when that's exactly what God wants us to do. So again, you got to weigh and evaluate your peace. It's not a foolproof way to determine the guidance of God. Same thing with impressions. Uh, our feelings. Well, I just don't feel right about it. Well, I have an impression I need to do this. Can God guide us through that? Absolutely. But sometimes uh, interpreting our impressions is a very subjective thing. Our impressions that on any given day 
thinking through any given situation can be disturbed by fears or directed by discouragement or depression or medication or wishful thinking or hormones or our sinful flesh. A lot of things give me impressions. And not all of them can I trust are from the Lord. And it kind of scares me when people have impressions and they say, well, the Lord told me to do this. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Impressions are not a guarantee hotline from God. And I don't think they're the norm on getting guidance. You don't want to always try to discern God's will by just your impressions, how you feel about something. Now, can God use these? Absolutely. Uh, many Muslims come to faith through dreams that they have. I don't understand how how God is still doing that. You know, in my my thinking, those things kind of they're 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 not the norm for sure. But many of them get some dream of Jesus, and and God uses that to bring them to faith. And my emphasis is not so much on the dream, but well, well, explain to me your understanding of the gospel. Because I want to make sure that your faith in Christ is accurate. I can't, I can't explain the dream. God has the freedom and the sovereignty to do whatever He does, whatever He wants to, whenever He wants to, wherever He wants to. And He can do that. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, challenge someone's experience. But you just want that the results are in line with the Word of God. <clears throat> That's why J.I. Packer again wisely said that impressions should be suspected before they are sanctioned and tested before they are trusted. And I think that's good good wisdom. But consider those subjective aspects because God can very well be involved in those and use them in guiding us. The fifth thing is a multitude of counselors. And notice here that uh, the apostles and the elders came together all the way back in verse 7 and there was much debate. It says after there had been much debate, verse 7. So there's a lot of these guys in this meeting in the Jerusalem council. There are obviously the apostles, whoever was still in town, and the elders, and a lot of the Judaizers. And so they had much debate. There's a lot of people contributing to this whole council, the input, the information, the facts. And they weighed all of that and made the right decision. But the, the principle here is that getting counselors and others is a good thing. Uh, Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. In Proverbs 11.14, where there's no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So it's always good. We don't want to be a fool who thinks I'm always right in my own eyes. But we should bring in other experts, other counselors, other people of wisdom and listen to their counsel. And that's one of the, the biblical means of uh, making a wise decision. Discerning God's guidance. Get the input of others. Now, 
obviously, uh, the counsel of counselors must be weighed too. Uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, chose to follow the advice and the counsel of his younger friends rather than the old gray heads. And his decision was a foolish one. And it cost him ten of the tribes broke away from Judah. So, you can get bad counsel as well. So again, you have to test it. You have to weigh it. And by the way, all these things that I'm <clears throat> kind of we're, we're reviewing is mainly for larger, important decisions. You don't have to go through all these steps when you go out to eat and you're ordering off the menu. Just get what you want. I mean, basically, you don't have to call up some people. Well, do I do the chicken or the pork chops? You know, and get get other people's input. So these are kind of on the big uh, decisions that we wrestle with. The sixth uh, thing to keep in mind is the importance of wisdom and common sense. And this is what really stands out in our passage in Acts 15. If you look, for example, in verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. And they drop down to verse 25. It seemed good to us having become of one mind. And then verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And the Holy Spirit here may very well reference the quotation of Scripture, the the Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius, the signs and wonders that Paul and Barnabas referenced already. But it seemed good to us. And then if you drop down verse 34, which may not be in the original text, but it says it seemed good to Silas to remain there. And in all this, their decision-making process was guided by what seemed right and just and good in their mind. In other words, the emphasis here is that they had to think and reason and evaluate all of these other circumstances. The providence of God, the Scriptures, uh, the counsel, the debate that was going on. They had to weigh all that. They had to use their minds to evaluate and make a wise decision. And that's emphasized here. So I think the Spirit of God who led Luke to record this is emphasizing that most of the time we're just after making a wise decision. And we have to evaluate all these other things and interpret the Scriptures correctly and then make a, a decision which we think is most to the glory of God and best in light of all the circumstances that we are faced with. Look at Scripture. Look at the providence of God. They did that. And they made a a solid conclusion and conviction that we were convinced and it seemed just and right and God's will for us to send you this letter saying, Gentiles, all you have to do is you know, keep peace with the Jews. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the law of Moses. So that sanctified common sense really is the norm, not seeking after supernatural signs for guidance. That seems to really be the emphasis in this whole passage. The Bible oftentimes doesn't give us specific guidance again in many areas of our life. And the issue is more of wisdom, again, and making the best decisions you can using the priorities of Scripture, the principles of Scripture to guide us. And then finally, number seven, always keep in mind the sovereignty of God. 
Because this notion that you can make a bad decision and therefore you have ruined your life and you're going to be living at God's second best level for the rest of your life and the next best the next bad decision you make is bumping you down to the third best level and the fourth and some of us are on our umpteenth millionth level of down the drain kind of a life because well I just I missed the perfect will of God. No, you have to remember that God is sovereign over all things, all circumstances, over everything in your life. That's why Proverbs tells us in chapter 16 verse 9 The mind of man plans his way, but who directs his steps? The Lord does. You plan your way. You have it all planned out. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But God sovereignly directs your steps. And it may not be down the plan that you've thought for yourself. He's in control. He is sovereign. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes. Which means that the king's heart is sovereignly controlled by God, so is your boss. His heart is under God's control as well. And the circumstances that he brings into it is ultimately under God's control. James 4.13, how about in business decisions? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Bad, Bad way to think about it. He says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor and appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, James says, James 4 verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. He acknowledges that my plans, my desires, all of that is subject to the controlling sovereign overseeing will of Almighty God. So if you make a plan, well, I'm I'm planning on doing this if God wills it. He may not will it because His will is supreme. His will is sovereign. Not ours. Ephesians 1.11 He works all things after the counsel of His will. That's That's your good decisions and your bad decisions. He works all things after the counsel of His will. Romans 8.28 We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. These are God's promises. That He's sovereign. He's in control. And if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, I don't care what's happened in your life. God has promised to work it for the good. So you make a decision. And it ends up being a foolish, bad decision. In fact, it's a disaster. You wish you never would have made it. You think maybe that now you've ruined your life forever. That uh, you'll never know happiness. You'll never know the fulfillment that God has for you. And the Scriptures would say, don't think that way. It's true, life is often like a maze. And sometimes we can find ourselves as if it were lost in the middle. And I don't know which way to go. i got all these different paths in front of me. I don't know which way to go. What do I do? Well, again, you evaluate your circumstances. You look at God's providence. You bring in wise counsel. You go to the Word of God. 
You evaluate your desires. You make the wisest decision that you can. And if it turns out to be a disaster, it was as much a part of God's plan and He will use it in your life for your good and for His glory and you trust in that. This is no uh, reason for us to, to make sloppy decisions or foolish decisions by any means because bad decisions bring negative consequences. But what I'm saying is because God is in control God is able to bring good out of the evil. That's what He promised to us. And we either believe the promise and then we can taste the honey from the rock or we don't believe the promise and then we sink in in despair and gloom and the slew of despond. See, Scripture tells you and me That even though I'm trying to do God's will and I'm trying to make a wise decision, some of my decisions are not going to be wise. Well, then have I blown it? You know, is God going to sideline me for the rest of my life and put me on the, on the bleachers forever and I'm done with, no longer useful? Absolutely not. Because God tells us He's going to bring good out of the evil. And I love what what Isaiah says that, that God is able to, to give beauty for ashes. So you've been burnt to a crisp by the fiery destructions of your decisions. And God is able to bring beauty out of ashes. The oil of, of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of fainting. That He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten because you are in God's hands. And even our decisions, when they're not the best or they're not the wisest, though I want them to be, sometimes we make bad decisions. But it doesn't mean that we're outside of God's plan that suddenly we're booted down to second best, third best, or whatever best it is. God is in control. And He has promised to use all things to accomplish His purpose in our life. And I think for for some of us who have made decisions that we are still suffering from, this is a note of encouragement for us. That if God is in control, then I can have hope. And I can believe that He is just as much involved with me now and guiding me now as if if I was on any other level of obedience that He works all things together for good. You know, David did some pretty bad things in the Old Testament. He made a few sinful decisions, didn't he? He even numbered his people when he shouldn't have because Satan, you know, enticed him to do it with God's ultimate oversight of that. And yet, God didn't throw David to the sidelines. He didn't take away his throne. God still used him. God redeemed those sinful choices, those bad decisions. And restored him. Peter denied the Lord three times and was restored. He also played the hypocrite in Galatians chapter 2. God still used Peter. Moses made a foolish decision that ended up in him killing an Egyptian. And yeah, he spent 40 years out in the desert. But God still used that man to bring about a mighty deliverance for his people. Jonah refused to obey God and yet God overruled his stubborn, rebellious will and used him to bring about probably the greatest revival of all of Old Testament history for a rebellious prophet 
who disobeyed God and made some horrible decisions and God still used him. Our bad decisions, our failures will not frustrate God's sovereign plan, period. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was driving to an elders meeting uh, early on a Monday morning and I needed to drive across town on I-44 and take the western exit and go north a couple miles and that's where our meeting was at. And as I was heading that way, I suddenly woke up, it was early in the morning, and realized I was going north on Hefner Parkway. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going north? I'm going, I missed the exit. What a stupid, what, wake up, Connor. You know, get your life in gear. So I said, okay, well, now I'm on plan B. So now I gotta go up, and I, okay, uh, Britain is, is the first road I can take. So I got off on Britain, okay, I'll go all the way, hit all the stop signs, and get there and be late, but I'll do, I get to May Avenue and now the road's all tore up and there's a detour. So now I've got to go back down south on May Avenue and go across on Wilshire. And, and in all of that, at the very end of the story, God got me exactly where He wanted me to be at exactly the time He wanted me to be there. And I wasn't even late. I mean, that's like a miracle. But God was in control. And I think the way we look at our lives, our decisions, is my heart's desire is to make a godly, wise decision that brings glory to my God and advances His truth and His glory and His will in my life. To advance the kingdom of God. To be a blessing to other people. And some of my decisions I make don't line up the best. But instead of being frustrated and carrying this heavy weight that I've ruined my life, I have to humbly acknowledge my sinful, foolish decision and know and trust that God is still in control. He's in control of that as much as anything else. And He's promised to work it for good in my life. Bottom line, when it comes to discerning God's will and making those important decisions, it's going to involve a life of faith. Because a lot of times Scriptures won't give us a specific answer. Providence, circumstances, my own desires, wise counsel, all of this stuff may not be able to show me a clear direction to go forward. But I still make a decision. I weigh it. I do the best I can. And I trust God with the results. Because we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And we're responsible to make the wisest, most God-honoring decision that will be the best for, for His glory and for the good of others. And if I miss the mark, I can still know that God is able to redeem it. He is able to restore me. He is able to guide me and use me for His honor and His glory. So use sanctified common sense. Uh, evaluate all these other aspects of walking with God. Are you walking with God? Are you looking to Scripture? Consider providence, counselors, desires, and ultimately trust that God is guiding you and that He will still use you for His glory. So thank God the Lord uh, directed them to make the right decision. They preserved the gospel of grace and that's the gospel we love and the gospel we preach. But hopefully some of the the means of their making that decision can be helpful and a blessing to us as well. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. 
Our Father, we do thank You that we can uh, uh, stop and meditate on this Jerusalem Council and the decision. And what a big decision. What an important decision it was that they made. But to also see the means by which You guided them in making uh, the decision that uh, certainly preserved the true Gospel, not the false Gospel. It was exposed for what it was. So thank You, Lord, that uh, You guide us. You're our shepherd. We are Your sheep. You've promised to guide us. And Lord, even when we go astray, Lord, that You use even those times to humble us, to lead us back into Your path, to teach us, to trust You, to look to You, to deal with our sin possibly. Many reasons. But we can always trust that You're guiding us. And we thank You and rejoice in that precious truth. So Lord, guide us in this week to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.